So let's begin our time by pleasing God in prayer. Let's pray. You command us, you instruct us, you exhort us to pray. For prayer expresses our dependence upon you. Prayer declares that you are God and we can trust in you. But we know that our prayers, as much as our lives, can only be pleasing and acceptable to you through the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. For through his obedience, we in all our disobedience have been made righteous. That through his love and his sacrifice, we who were once your enemies have now become your children. And so, Lord Jesus, we hear your word that you are the good shepherd and your sheep hear your voice. And all who call upon your name will be saved. We gather here in your mighty name. We ask for your victory, your victory to be so true in our lives, your victory that smashed the work of Satan, your victory that has granted us forgiveness of sin, that has justified us before God, your victory that promises us that life and death on earth is not our final home. Your victory reminds us and assures us that we have a new heavens and a new earth to go to because of you. And now by your spirit, we pray that we will hear your voice speak to us and be the people of God, going about your mission, completing it by bringing it to the ends of the earth and loving each other. For by this shall all men know we are your disciples. We pray against the evil one in any and every way. We ask, Lord, for everyone who tunes in, that they would be discerning of the evil one and rejecting of him by your power and by faith in you. And we ask for a blessed time. In your name we pray. Amen. Usually when we go for church camp, can you remember what the church camp is like in Malaysia? It's a beautiful experience, don't you think? Right? A thousand plus of us, all ages, intergeneration. Some of them would have flown there. Some would have traveled in buses. And the bus journey itself to and fro would have been bonding time of you singing together, journeying together, marketing together. And when we get there, it's um, four nights and five days of spiritual feasting. Of course, with the highlight of durian feasting. All that we miss, and we must pray that God gives, gives us a chance to begin our physical meetings again. The, in a church camp, there's a standard pattern. Um, we begin by worshiping song, of course, and then usually there'll be a testimony in the night sessions. In the morning times, it's called, what we call the mission spot to encourage us how God is working in our lives in different parts of the church, the body line. And then there'll be the talk. So we will have these three dimensions as part of our program tonight, tomorrow, and on Sunday itself. We begin with a time of worship and song. And this year, as last year, our guest artist that we invited was Colin Buchanan. Everybody welcome Colin. And Colin has been sent by God to bless us. Again, we regret he can't be with us, but he's kindly consented and recorded some music for us to sing along. He recorded in the daytime, so it's bright and breezy where he is in, in Sydney, Australia. And he will sing three songs for us. And the three songs are God is Great, Secondly, David and Goliath, and Hannah's Song. And why is it so important? Because we're now reading an Old Testament book, Exodus, and it, we're going to come to know this great God and how to respond to this great God. And sometimes responding to this great God involves fierce battles like David versus Goliath. But sometimes responding to this God um, comes in the form of humble prayer, persistent prayer, like Hannah asking for a child. And so listen to our brother, Colin. Ring, ring, where's the phone? Ring, 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 I see, ring, ring, sorry, excuse me, phone's ringing, ring, 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 hello, Pastor Chris, Adam Road Presbyterian Church, yes, with the church camp, would, would I? Yes, Colin Buchanan here. Yes, speaking. I'm in Sydney, in Australia, near my house. Yes, yes. Um, would I sing some songs for the church camp for Adam Road Presbyterian Church in Singapore? 
Yes, I just happened to put up my flag in the bush. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, if you have any ideas for songs, just let me know. Okay. Oh, that's a good idea. Good one to start with about how great God is very good. Well, he is great, you know. Psalm 95, for the Lord is the great, great God. Yes, you know that one? Oh, no, no, stop. I'll tell you. The high king above all gods. The, the sea is his for he made it and and his hands formed the dry dry ground that's yeah memory verse okay okay y yes he oh good idea okay B bye bye right yeah bye hello adam road presbyterian church Four. Four, three, one. He's the king of everyone, cause God's a mighty, mighty Lord. Seven. Seven, six, five. God's alive. He is the, 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 four. King of everyone, cause God's the mighty, mighty Lord. Ready for the echo. Here we go. Ten, nine, nine, eight, eight, seven, seven, six, five, four, three, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero, two, one, zero, blast You know, that, that lesson that God is great is a lesson that the Bible teaches again and again and again. And there's a story in the Old Testament about Goliath, who was big, and David, who was small, and God is the biggest of all. Ready? Try it. Goliath was big. David was small. God is the biggest of all. Well, mighty Goliath was a real big fella. He called all the Israelite soldiers yeller. Come up and fight me any old time. He was big and bad, a godless Philistine. But one thing Goliath don't know. You don't need to be bigger when you trust the Lord. You don't need a bigger spear or a bigger sword. You just gotta trust him even though you're small. Cause God is the biggest. God is the biggest. God is the biggest of all. Ready? Life was big! David was small. God is the biggest of all. Well, along comes David with his brother's lunch. He wants to give Goliath a sucker punch. But Goliath, well, no, David's a shepherd. David can sing, but he's no armor, just stones and a sling. But one thing David knows, you don't need to be bigger when you trust the Lord. You don't need a bigger spear or a bigger sword. You just gotta trust him even though you're small, cause God is the biggest. God is the biggest. God is the biggest of all. Ready? Goliath was big! David was small. God is the biggest of all. Goliath sees David. Goliath mocks. He thinks he'll knock David right out of his socks. One little stone kills Goliath dead. He's going to lose the battle. He's going to lose his head. And David's going to be a king. So sing. You don't need to be bigger when you trust the Lord. You don't need a bigger spear or a bigger sword. You just gotta trust him even though you're small. Cause God is the biggest. God is the biggest. God is the biggest of all. Ready? Goliath was big. David was small. God is the biggest of all. Yes, Goliath was great. Oh, sorry. Ring, ring, ring. Was in the... Pastor Chris, is that you? Yeah, yes. What, I was in the middle of the song and then... What? You think it would be good if when I did the Goliath was big, everyone joined in, and when I was big, I ran away, and when I did small, I... 
That sounds very tiring, Pastor Chris. What? Okay, yeah, you're the senior pastor. I'll do what you say. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Did you hear? Right. Goliath was... Big! David was... Small! God is the biggest of Yes. What? Yes, Pastor Chris. You liked it? You want me to do it again? Okay. Goliath was... Oh, this is so fast. Excuse me. Wait a minute. Now the microphone's come off. That's better. Big! Excuse me. David was... Small! God is the biggest of all. God is amazing. He's so huge. He's the Lord and King of creation, the great, great God, the high King above all gods, which makes his sovereign care even more wonderful and remarkable. And I love that in the Old Testament, nestled away uh, is, is story after story of God's tender love and care. And one of those stories is the story of Hannah and her prayer. So here it is in a song. Now and no one from the nowhere tales, the Israelite Elkanah had a wife named Hannah and a wife named Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah she had none. And Hannah was downhearted at what the Lord had done. So Hannah prays on her knees. Hannah weeps. Hannah pleads. God, my rock, you do all things well. Now when Hannah went to Shiloh to worship and to pray, she said, if you give me a son, oh God, he'll serve you all his days. Hannah, are you drunk on wine? Asked Eli, the old priest. I was pouring out my heart to God, said Hannah in her grief. So Hannah prays on her knees, Hannah weeps, Hannah pleads, God my rock, you do all things well. Well, the Lord remembered Hannah, and he granted her a son. Hannah kept her promise after all the Lord had done. She took her boy to Shiloh to serve God all his days. The mighty prophet Samuel, who led Israel in God's ways. Hannah prays on her knees. Hannah weeps. Hannah pleads. God, my rock, you do all things well. Lord your heartache, give the Lord your pain, give your life to Jesus, call upon his name. We can learn to trust in God and cast our every care. It's in the old, old story of Hannah and her prayer. Hannah prays on her knees. Why don't you sing that bit? 
God, my rock, you do all things well. Again, God, my rock, you do all things well. He does all things well. Did you enjoy that from our brother Colin? I hope so. That it declares in song that God is true, God is living, God is loving, God is great. And sometimes responding to this God, we face very deep battles and fierce battles against Goliath. We don't need a bigger sword. We don't need a bigger spear. We just need to know he's the biggest of all. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we plead like Hannah for something that we want, which is so precious. And we wait. And that's how we respond to our great God. So I do not know where you are as you listen to this, the opening songs. And I hope the gospel songs have touched you in some way. Okay. And so the title of our, the theme of our camp is Viral Chaos Enduring Lessons. And so we're going to take you through three lessons as we summarize Exodus 1 to 18 up to this point. We'll do the second part of Exodus in the second part of the year. So the three lessons for the camp, the first slide comes on. Enduring Lessons of God. And then tomorrow, Saturday night at 8 p.m., Enduring Lessons of God's People. Then on Sunday, where we'll live stream our services and there'll be the final camp, a final camp talk, Enduring Lessons of God's Redemption. So we're going to toggle between looking at the slides and the lessons that are here. So I'll ask you now, what is the big picture of Exodus? We studied Genesis last year. And through 50 chapters, you could divide it into the first 11 chapters are the beginnings of creation. But from chapter 12, when God called Abraham and started to speak and work through the four patriarchs, is the story of redemption, right? How God redeems his people. By the time we come to Exodus, here's a way to understand it. There are four parts to it. Firstly, is the departure from Egypt. And that's chapter 1 to 15. And then from chapter 16 to 18 is the journey to Sinai. So you take a look at the next slide. And then they finally arrive at Sinai. And there God meets his people, all of them. And he gives them his law to guide them, dictate to them, instruct them how they are to live as God's holy people before a holy God that will make them so different to all the pagan and idolatrous nations. So departure from Egypt, slavery to Pharaoh and the idols of this world, the wilderness journey to Sinai, 16 to 18, the law at Sinai, and finally, the giving of the law was so that they would indeed worship the true and the living God, as opposed to all the false gods that they saw in Egypt and will meet in Canaan. Canaan right? And the worship at Sinai from 25 to, verse, to chapter 40. And so we begin our time by... First introduction, when Moses was first introduced to God, right, he was chosen by God, this was the record of it. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. First introductions really matter. So speaking about our mercy ministry, our prisons ministry, our drug rehab ministry, I've told this story because uh, it's, I've never forgotten it. I was part of our founding church, Princep Street, and uh, the singing team that was there, it was called The Believers, The Believers, and we were going to minister in Changi Prison with Reverend John Ting, and so we practiced our songs. We also got training in how to speak to the prisoners after we did our presentation, and if um, we could share the gospel with them. So we finally went after all the practices and rehearsals and then we sang our songs. Then after that, it was time to meet with the prisoners. And uh, I met this person, a prisoner, and I asked him why he was in prison. And he said, without batting an eyelid, I killed somebody. And you know what I said? 
I was so nervous. I've never met anybody, anyone who killed somebody. So I said, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I'll never forget how foolish I, might, I, I sounded. How can it be nice to meet somebody who killed another person? But that was my nervousness. First introductions. Moses' first introduction to God introduces him to two characteristics of God. That God is holy. Holy, one main meaning of holiness is God. God is just different to us. We are flesh and blood. God is different and separate to us. He's a standout and standalone. And Moses has to know that he's approaching the holy God. The second thing about God, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's our first introduction. From the first introduction to, Mo, to God, Moses' introduction to God, we come to a major theme. And the major theme springs out at us in chapter 5. Now, Moses was sent by God to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go so that they can worship God at the chosen place God has assigned for them. So take a look at this. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness, literally Hold a feast to me is the worship of God. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Literally, who is Yahweh? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. We can take a break from the slide for now. So here we have Moses. right? And Moses is God's messenger. Israel are God's people, and Pharaoh is God's opponent. And guess what? Moses, Israel, and then Pharaoh all actually say the same thing. We don't know who this God is. They don't know him personally. The word know is a very huge one in the Bible. It's not a cognitive knowing. It's not mental knowing. I know this, the, the, the earth revolves around the sun. I know it's going to rain today. That's just knowledge. I know some things from the internet. But no is to know personally and to know intimately. And in knowing God personally, intimately, we give him the right response. And we saw in the first three songs, right, that the right response could be in the heat of battle, small David against a big Goliath. He doesn't need a bigger sword, a bigger spear. He just needs God on his side. And at times, responding to this God rightly is just weeping and praying and waiting like Hannah for the things that we that are so precious to us. And so, knowing God, Moses will get to know God more and more. Israel will get to know God more and more as God reveals himself. So, revelation, response, revelation, response. Very important. But the biggest conflict in the book of Exodus, if not in the whole Bible, the biggest tension in life for all of us is this. We meet a God who is determined to be known, determined to be worshipped, determined to be rightly glorified. Then we meet us, proud, arrogant, rebellious, sinful, fallen people. From Genesis chapter 3, when we chose not to know God, we have from that time been determined not to know him, determined not to worship him, determined not to praise him, determined not to glorify him. So this is the biggest conflict that is addressed in Exodus and it comes to life in the clash between thus says God and thus says Pharaoh. I just want to pause here and reflect on Joy's testimony. For joy, can I use the word, that she, poor thing, no chance from her very broken background, no chance from her very dysfunctional home to know God. And that is a very sad beginning. And when with no chance to know God, many things go wrong as we saw in her life. Indeed, her whole life got derailed. Now, I just want to pause here because many of us tuning in are, may have been so blessed 
are so favored, are so overly, abundantly blessed by God to do one, to experience one. That we have Christian homes, that we've got Christian parents, that we've got Christian spouses, and we got good children's church to go to. Before COVID, we all came. Children's church, five, six hundred of us every weekend, ARPC at Adam, ARPC at Bishan. And you had good new fellowship to go to called Basic. But somewhere along the line, as God has blessed you and favoured you with a Christian marriage, with a Christian home, you grew up with Christian parents, you may choose by knowing the wrong people in life to not know God and to not know Jesus. It's a very serious business to choose not to know God. And we found a transition, you know, across the board, not just in ERPC, that our children in children's church, they are very keen to learn about God when they are six, seven years old, all the way to about 11. Then by the time they are 11 or 12, they're becoming teenagers. Uh, it's no longer, when they were younger, right? P3, P4, they sing songs with all their hearts. They're praising God, you know, at home and at church when we meet. But then by primary five or six, is they nudge each other. Why are you singing? Why are you singing? And we, you know, it's no longer fashionable. Then by the time we come to our youth days, we think it's fashionable no longer to believe in God. And then we throw away our spiritual heritage. I want to say to you again, it's a very serious business to be disinterested in God. It's a very serious business to give up on knowing God when God has so favoured and blessed your life with Christian input all around you. So I do not know who is tuning in. What ages, children or youth or adults? Could you be there? I was just speaking to a close relative. And he was saying of one of his children, right, that um, doing so well, he's doing so well spiritually. And that's what has given. But this year, he's noticed a difference in this son because he's gotten to know someone in school, in class. And this someone he's gotten to know in school, in class, uh, comes from a broken home, a dysfunctional home. And quite obviously, is influencing him to watch things, the wrong things on his phone. And so when I last spoke to this relative, he says, please pray for me. Guess what? Guess how old his son is? He's barely 10 years old. And at 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, you could get into the wrong company that though your dad and mom are teaching you the right stuff and showing you the right testimony, you could be drifting very far. I just want to labor the point that the big message of God to us is he's determined to be known He's determined to be worshipped. He's determined to be loved. He's determined to be glorified. It's a very serious business when we, like Israel, like Pharaoh, choose not to know God. If that is true, you ask yourself from the Exodus story, what is it that God wanted Israel to know about him? What is it that God wanted Israel to know about him? The next slide. Right? And it's a question you and me can ask of ourselves. What is it that God wants you to know about him? As we now read Exodus, Israel is to know this. In chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I'm to be remembered through all generations. So the first thing for us to know is the name of the true and the living God. So you ask what's in a name, right? So names have significance. If you go to the West, maybe America or Canada for studies, New Zealand, Australia, etc. Um, you know, some for us as Asians or Chinese or Indians or Malays, we might find this surname strange, right? You could have a surname called Slaughter, right? And so I once saw a sign. 
They were signed for a surgeon, right? And the surgeon's name was Dr. Jim Slaughter. I'm not kidding you, right? It's a terrifying name to have as a doctor. Dr. Jim or Dr. Peter Slaughter. What's in the name, right? I once met this person at a Christian conference before I got up to speak, came to introduce himself. And um, I introduced myself as Pastor Chris and he introduced himself. His name was Atomic. I thought he was kidding. He stretched out his hand and said, my name is Atomic. So I was stunned. I said, really? You're not kidding? You know? And he says, it's true. And my brother's name is Nuclear. I'm not kidding because his parents were so were scientists and they wanted to name their, their two sons Atomic and Nuclear. Sometimes our names are, are strange. Sometimes our names are the likes of our parents. But in the ancient world, when this was written, when a deity has a name, right? It is an invitation to know that God, permission to know this God. So I am who I am is literally, I am who he is. You will come to know me more and more by my character and my actions, by my revelation. In other words, if God didn't give his name to Moses to give to Israel, no name, no relationship. But because of that name, this God is now committed to them and they are to be committed to him. And so God name, God relationship. It's two-way relationship. Very important for us to realize. Then he's the God of your fathers. In that sense, he's the God who created everything. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the forever God. And this forever God is to be remembered and worshipped and responded to forever. So the first thing we need to know is this true and living God has a name. He revealed that name to his people, Israel. So you ask the question, what if we choose not to know God? And Israel will come to this choice again and again. What if we choose not to know Yahweh as the true and the living God, the one and the only God? They will end up, they will not end up with believing in nothing. If we choose not to believe in God, you might end up in believing in anything as our little G-gods. So atheism, right? Polytheism. Atheism, you no longer believe in God. Polytheism, you believe in anything as God. And who did that? Pharaoh did that. They had many gods, from the river Nile to the frogs to everything else. They worship creation. And it's so sad. And where do we see this? Didn't we see this in Joy's life, her sad life, and her honest testimony, where she was, her early little G-gods unknown to her, was to find security and identity by being part of a, of a secret society, being part of gangsters. And she said she was naive. And then they introduced her to drugs. And this drugs, right, um, this Miss White, right? Heroin. They thought, she thought it would take away her past, her hatred, her unforgiveness. But far from taking away her past, her painful past, her hatred, her deep hatred, and her hardening unforgiveness, it actually made her worse. If we choose not to know God, we will end up believing not in nothing, but in anything as our little G-gods. And our little G-gods from Pharaoh to joy, the whole story of the human race. You know what we do? What they do? The next slide. They promise so much, they deliver so little. This little Miss White, right, that promises me a better life to forget the past, to overcome hatred and unforgiveness, actually entrenches me more. I remember she went back more helpless, more hopeless. And then you, you thought that going to DRC, she went from abuser of drugs to trafficker of drugs. When we believe in our own self-wisdom and self-rescue, 
we actually don't believe in nothing. We believe in anything that I will find a way out of my problem. I will find a way out of my pain. I will find a way out of my addiction to pleasure. No, friends, we won't. So the first thing they needed to know, the name of God, the true and living God, and he's the forever God, and the forever God who asked forever worship and forever believe in him, a God to be remembered. Then the Exodus account moves on. What else do we know about God? What enduring lessons about God? What did the templates reveal? The templates revealed this. Remember, it was three cycles or three triplets. The first cycle was blood and frogs and lice. The next cycle was flies and livestock and bowls. The third cycle was hail and locusts and darkness. And each one of them revealed a distinctive characteristic of God. If the first cycle revealed anything, it was Yahweh is superior to any of Pharaoh's and Egypt's divine class, superior to his sorcerers, superior to his magicians who no longer could mimic. So the magicians are the first one who know and says to Pharaoh, this one we cannot do. Remember that? The others we could do, but this one we cannot do. From that point onwards, they start to acknowledge. In the second cycle, the next thing about God that's being revealed is that he knows how to bring judgment upon his enemies and how to bring protection upon his people. He separated Israel and Israel's livestock from the plagues that he brought on Israel. So Israel got to know not just a superior God, but a God who knows how to distinguish between those who are his and those who stand against God. And the third cycle reveals something else of God. This is not, there is none like him. There is none but him. This God of Israel was distinctive, unique. There is none but him. Let us just pause there. What is it about these three characteristics about God that you find difficult to believe? Do you find the superiority of God, unbelievable, unreasonable. Ask yourself, why? Do you find the God who is able to judge between the righteous and the unrighteous, those who believe in him and those who don't, unbelievable? Why? Do you find that believing in him as the true and the living God, there is none like him, none but him, why is that so hard to believe? Very important. Which one of this do you find difficult and why? Then as the Exodus account moves on, there are four fatal dangers in five incidences between chapter 15 to 18. And what are they? Remember, in chapter 15, right after the song of praising God sung by Moses and Miriam, they start to grumble against Moses. There's no water at this place called Marah. And then there is no food in the desert of sin. And then there is no water again in at Rephidim. And then after God had provided for them, there's now their enemies, their Malachites. And then they got quarrels and disputes between them because they have lived so long without any, any sense of being a people. And the repeated word here is testing. And so the lessons there about God, his character and his actions, his character and his conduct. What is it? What was Israel to know about Yahweh? This is what they had to know. They have just experienced between chapters 12 to 15, God the deliverer who delivered them so miraculously, powerfully, and without a doubt, he delivered them from Pharaoh and the army, from sure death. Can God del deliver, be also the provider of manna? Can God be the warrior, delivering us from enemies, 
We are a bunch of slaves. We don't know how to fight. The last time we fought, we didn't fight at all. God just drowned the entire army. We don't know what it's like to have spears and swords and shields. God shows himself. The battle belongs to me. And they will start to learn that God can be their judge, is their judge, settling the disputes against each other in their hearts that they were bringing to Moses and burdening him. And so, what was the lesson Israel and all of us have to learn? As the story of the Bible unfolds, Israel and all of us have to learn this. We have to know this. You can trust God to be God. God knows how to be God. At times, he knows how to be deliverer. At times, he knows how to be provider. At different times, he knows how to be protector. At different times, he knows how to deliver you to be a warrior. At different times, God knows how to be judge, rescuing you from false accusation. But we must ask the right question. It's not whether God knows how to be God. It's whether you and me know how to be a God person. And what does a God person, what is a God person required to do? Is to step out in faith and obedience that we'll look at in detail tomorrow and during lessons of God's people. So, I do not know how long your journey with God has been. Maybe some of you have tuned in and you have no knowledge of this God. And hopefully through the songs that were sung by Colin, the testimony that was given by Joy, the word that is now being shared and proclaimed to you now, you're getting little spiritual nuggets of who this God is. A God who delivers his people from their enemies. A God who, who provides for us. A God who battles for us. A God who can solve the disputes of our hearts. It's so important that we respond to him rightly. Look back over your life as I look back over my life. How often have I doubted, God, can you provide for me? I, I, I left my job in journalism to go to Bible college. I saved enough money for my first year in Bible college. And I didn't know where the rest of the money was going to come in my second or third year. So what do you do? When you are stuck in such a position, the best way is to get married. <laughs> I'm kidding. Because got married. But as we went, Mona and me, we had enough savings only to last us for the first year. So I remember when I put in my resignation at the street's time, I walked away and at the time it was just old-fashioned checks. You know, you got your salary through a check. And I said to myself, this is my last check. Oh Lord, I just want to trust in you to provide for me. We went through a very rough time in Bible College. We were very poor. I've shared the story many times. But you know what? We were never made to beg, though we were down to our last $10, $20. God always brought. I remember one time when uh, our car had burst a tire and the car was need needing repair and we were struggling financially. And one after lectures, I heard a knock on the door and um, opened the door as one of my classmates and his name was Bruce Lee. I'm not kidding you. And Bruce came in, he kept, kept a pet dog and we liked dogs. We chatted a while and he said, uh, after a while chatting with us for half an hour to an hour, he said, oh, I got to leave now. So I, I, I don't know why, but God convicted me to come to your place. This is my first time here. And he just convicted me to give you this. And he just left and gave us an envelope. And as he, after he left, we opened it. It was $500, just enough for the repairs of our car and to get us through our groceries. At different times, can you trust God to be provider? Can you trust God to be protector? Can you trust God to be all things to you? This is what God wants you to know about him, personally, intimately. Oh, I was in Bible college. I was growing in theological knowledge. 
I was growing cognitive knowledge, but it's a totally different thing from all that knowledge here to say, I I put my whole life into your hands. And every season and every year and every month and every day and every moment and every incident is about me learning to know you personally. And then goes on, chapter 3, verse 12, a key passage. God says to Moses, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you when you brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. And so we mustn't miss this. Miss what? That it's not about us and our suffering. It wasn't merely God hearing the suffering of his people recorded for us in Exodus. He did hear the cries of his people and he acted in compassion. He acted in compassion because he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and he was the God of the descendants of Jacob and Joseph, and there will come Moses. And so, God's redemption plan, God knows how to powerfully redeem us from slavery to idols, and then lovingly and tenderly shepherd us to worship him. The great goal of redemption is not simply that we are safe from slavery to sin, but we are safe to worship, safe for the worship of God. We must never forget that. And it involves two sides of God. God as a powerful warrior delivering them, and God as a loving shepherd. And you would see this and hear this in the song of Moses in Exodus. So how does this work out? Do you know that God can mightily deliver you from your ultimate enemy and he can tenderly lead you to the worship of him? Joyce testimony, that punchline I thought was so good. The punchline from Joy, Joy Choi's uh, testimony was this. God, uh, he always give, 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 and then forgive. But we always get, 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 and then we forget. That's a mighty thing, right? Don't you think? And did you listen to her carefully? That she said, you know, life is like snakes and ladders, snakes and ladders. And sometimes you are walking okay, you're going up the ladder, then you're bitten by the snake. But now she realizes, my life is no longer like a game. It's no longer like a game. Your life is not a game. And you're not a pawn in God's game, right? Now that she believes in Jesus as a savior, as a Lord over every moment, she says, if they got snake, uh, I, I don't go there. If they got snake, I don't go near. She's learned to discern that there is an enemy called Satan. He is the great opponent against God. He is the great enslaver of us all, enslaving us with sin. And sin and rebellion says, your life and my life is better without God. Your life and my life is better if you are Lord of your own life which joy experience in a very dark way. You can't be master of your life. If you're master of your life, you will mess it up. You want to write it down somewhere? If you're master of your life, determiner of your own destiny, you will indeed mess it up. That is a promise of God in his word. And so God always give, give, give and forgive. We always get, 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 then we forget God. That's dangerous. And so how well do we know this God? The song actually says this. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God. And I will praise him. My father's God. As much as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, they all trusted in him. We can trust it's the same God. This God does not die with me. This God lives and I will exalt him. This is the forever God asking for forever worship from generation to generation. And so how well do you know this God, the enduring lessons of this God? So how did Joy end? Joy's testimony. One day she just knelt down and prayed and she said, I surrender. I surrender. And then she, she asked very honestly, is it me who can say such things? 
Did you hear what she said? Joy, like many who get sidetracked by, sidetracked by drugs, by crime, by a wayward life. Not much education. Maybe very uneducated, but so enlightened. So enlightened. What could she say? I just wrote down here. She could say that God's love is so unending that God sent his only son. So uneducated Joy is, but so enlightened she is. It must be the spirit of God. It must be the word of God. Is it me who can say such things? Is it me who can pray such prayers? It can't be. It can't be. And so she came to that moment of redemption. It came to a moment for her to know God personally. She knelt down and prayed. I want to ask you, have you had these moments before? And some of us may say, Oh, I've been there and done that. I want to ask myself and ask you, I want to challenge myself and challenge you. Been there and done that. But are you still doing that? Are you still there and doing this? Are you still where? Saying that you are a spiritual pauper. Oh, help me, God. I'm a sinner so that you bow at the feet of Jesus and the foot of the cross, not just once in your life, but day by day and again and again, God wants you to go to the foot of the cross and say, I've been there, done that, I'm still doing this, I'm still here and doing this, and rejoicing that you're not just saviour of my life, you're lord of my life. So help me know that you'll provide for me. Help me know that you'll protect me. Help me know that you'll fight my battles, oh God. This is the Christian life. You cannot presume on this. Some of you tuning in have never been there and done that. And perhaps tonight is your God-ordained moment to do this, to be there and do this. Like Joy did. Enough, enough of this cycle, enough of this, this Miss White and heroin, enough of my self-rescue. I can't do that. So by the time we come to the New Testament, we know that Jesus has come as the better Moses. Not that Moses was inferior in any way. Not that Moses was a failure in any way. And more about that tomorrow. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Hebrews 2.14, since the children have flesh and blood, he, the Savior, he too shed in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives, free those, all of us who all their lives, were held slavery by the fear of death. If we believe God by believing in his, in his word, by believing in Jesus, who has come as God's final and full revelation and redemption, you must believe that you and me are enslaved, enslaved to Satan, enslaved to sin, born servants to sin, and we are enslaved to the fear of death. Every one of us is fearful of death. If not, you won't have heightened alert phase two, phase three. You won't have lockdowns around the world. You won't have travel, travel bubbles, propose, opening up, closing down. You won't have people walking around in masks. You won't have the world in pandemic. It's because you and me are enslaved to the fear of death. All who sin against God suffer that fear. We're going to end our time by asking ourselves, so how well do you know Jesus? Do you know him in life? Will you know him in death? You know, in ARPC in a year, we have last year, if you read the ACM reports and all members, you might have to read the ACM reports and don't forget to sign up and to vote by proxy. The closing date is June 23rd, and the ACM is on 27. We don't vote on the day itself. I'll say more about it tomorrow. So proxies in by June 23rd. Read the reports. 
officially we had 39 babies last year, but we had a record. We tracked down all the others who may not have told us or notified the office. We think we had a, a record of 51 babies caused last year. What to do? Circuit breaker, lockdown, right? 51 babies. We had many weddings. A few were postponed. But each year we also have deaths. And sometimes when we share from the pulpit, we pray because we make the announcement in our bulletins, now our e-bulletins. The 50, 60 funerals that we do a year are not all our members or regulars. We do even the funerals for those who are family and friends, uncles, aunties, because we want to take the opportunity to comfort and to preach the gospel. We're going to share with you a funeral uh, a video that was put together by a grandpa saying goodbye to his granddaughter, saying goodbye to his loved ones. And he sings a song, Thank You, Lord. I do not know how you're going to say goodbye. This is of Alan Koo, who was stricken with lung cancer. And as his strength faded away, as his life ebbed away, I ask for your understanding that uh, his voice may sound weak and you will see this around the two minute mark when he starts singing, he's got the headphones on. He's trying his best to do this recording. And I want you to listen carefully to the lyrics and please listen to the end and listen to the final lyrics that he sings. A grandpa saying goodbye to his grandchildren, to his grandchild and his loved ones. I thank you, Lord, for the trial that come my way and that way I each day as I let you Control 
of all I do Cause when those trials come My human nature shouts the things to do And God's self-prompting can be you as we end our time together will you know jesus in your life and death how does a grandchild and grandpa say goodbye to each other and the last lyric will let me hear you and respond to you oh lord ellen always thought he was always said to me whenever we met that he was the black sheep of the cool family the Koo family has this distinctive line of pastors, but he was the black sheep. And I always told him, there's no black sheep. There's only lost sheep, no black and white. And in one of my visits to him, he was already homebound. He gave us a wonderful meal, more myself, tea, nyonya tea, Pranakam background. And before we left, he made sure that his wife handed us a check and the check was to give to ARPC at Tengah. I want to say to you, as we end our time together, this is what knowing God is about. Will you know Jesus in your life? Will you know Jesus in and through death? And so let us march forth as we hear the word of God and hear the gospel and let us march forth bravely from where we began, ARPC at Adam, to ARPC at Bishan, to ARPC at Tengah. And Tengah is too small a vision. It is Tengah to the rest of the world. And so I end with that, with two questions for you, to pray, to reflect, to respond to God. Tonight is enduring lessons about God. And the first question is, what is it about God that you cannot trust? What is it about God that you cannot trust? And related to that, what is it about Jesus you cannot believe in? You find difficult to believe in. Jesus is redeemer. Jesus is provider. 
Jesus as protector, Jesus as warrior, Jesus as judge. What is it? And please answer that tonight at the foot of the cross. And don't say, I've been there and I've done that. It's not what you did five years ago. It's not what you did 10 years ago. It's whether you're still doing that now. As you wake up each day, as you go to sleep, is Jesus Redeemer and Lord of your life? That's the question. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, you created us with a very simple calling that you are God who rightly is determined to be known, to be trusted, to be surrendered to, to be worshipped, to be glorified forever and ever. But we were so determined not to listen to you and as a result of listening to the evil one who has come to enslave us, enslave us to sin and enslave us to the fear of death, we have chosen not to know you. We thank you that you have never forgotten us, that you are God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the forever God who is forever to be worshipped. And your purposes continued with Moses and the Israelites against all odds. And your purposes come to fulfillment and fruition in Jesus, our Redeemer, who on the cross, by his blood and by his death, defeated the works of the evil one, forgave us of sin, that we, not black or white sheep, but lost, can indeed be given a new beginning. So we pray that it will come to an end in our lives. We don't want to know you just mentally at arm's length. We want to know you personally and intimately. So by your grace, graces that we will never say we've been there and done that, We've been there, done that, and still doing that and want to be in that place where we say, oh, help me, God, I'm a sinner. And thank God and thank you for your spirit. And we thank you for tonight and all the lessons you have taught us. May we go and reflect on this deeply, personally, as couples, as family, with enduring lessons of who you are through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.